Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the Axel payment story with my friend Sean Vovo. How's it going? It's just Sean Vo, not Sean Vovo. So how's it going, Sean? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. Uh, it's my pleasure. So Sean, please introduce yourself and your company where you're calling from today. Yeah, totally. So my name is Sean Vo. I am the CTO and co-founder of Axel Payments. Axel is based in New York City, but we hire people remotely. So a lot of companies nowadays are just hired remotely, but I'll I'll have a note that we did it before the pandemic. So I think we we're a little bit really? ahead of the game on that one. Got really lucky because once the pandemic hit, we were in a really good position and we were already like operating as a remote company. So the company at its core is a financial enablement platform for freight brokers. So what we do for freight brokers is we provide end-to-end payment automation. So we do their collections, their invoicing, their carrier payments, in addition to providing them with a lot of back office tools to help them scale their company. So we will connect to their transportation management systems, we will connect to their accounting system, and just make it so that they can focus on growing their business and not worry about their back office. Very nice, very nice. So you are where freight tech meets fintech is exactly. where Sean and Axel Payments lives. So before we hit record, I was t- telling something that you've heard many times before, but I said the number one f- question in this business is, where's my stuff? And the number two question in this business is, where's my money? <laughs> that's, yeah. where, that's where you guys live, right? Yeah, yeah. I can't tell you how many times that comes up as our <laughs> customer support tickets. I just heard yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you? We'll get back into your company in a minute, but tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you and your partner. Is one partner you have? Yeah, I have one co-founder. He was also my best friend from high school. Oh, very nice. I, I hope you guys are still friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? And uh, give us some career highlights before you started Axel Payments. Yeah, totally. So I grew up in Northern Virginia, so a little bit outside of D.C. My parents actually came over to America as refugees. So growing up, you know, we... Where'd they come from? They came from Vietnam. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they didn't know any English when they got here, like zero kind of like higher education. But but kind of growing up, you know, they, they worked really hard. My mom eventually was able to open up her own business. My grandpa opened up like a grocery store that I was working at when I was young. And so it was kind of like that American dream story right. where they, they were able to come over and kind of like make it for themselves. I swear, I would say when I, I talked to so many founders and so many, just as just as the stats would indicate, so many founders are the second generation in or first generation, like, like they more or less were raised here, but their parents are like, you know, maybe speak another language as their first language. And I think in a lot of ways, it shows how much that, that really does work here. And it doesn't work everywhere else. I, I actually was just reading a book. I thought this was very interesting. When I said read a book, I don't read anymore. I listen to tons of books, though. And it said in most countries in the world, there's a dominant ethnic group that you have to be part of if you want to be in power. 
And they said there's the settler countries, and I think it's New Zealand, uh, Canada, U.S., and a few others that there isn't a dominant ethnic group. So, and and this would mean no criticism to any country, but like if you move to France, you will never be French. If I move to France, I will never be French. But and and that's a problem here. If you move to America, like I always joke is you know when I did my DNA, I'm like 100% Irish, but for the most part, everybody's a mix. We're all mutts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're still purebred. Your kids probably won't be. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, and that, that's kind of what I love um, about, you know, being here and especially New York, where we're based out of so much diversity everywhere. There's people of all different ethnicities, different kind of industries, and you just get to learn so right. much. And it's, it's interesting. I heard some uh, Thomas Sowell, famous writer, and he said, we sometimes say uh, diversity is a strength. And he goes, typically, he goes, typically, if he, you know, he studies nations, he says, typically, it's looked at as a problem that you overcome. And he said, but in the States, he goes, we've overcome, we've done such a good job of overcoming it. And God Almighty, if you, I feel like, I feel like I'm moving towards politics, but so many people say otherwise, but it's just my reality is I just talked to so many entrepreneurs and it's hard to say after I talk to you, go, it doesn't work. you like, people just aren't successful unless they're old white dudes. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kind of like from my, from my perspective, it's just like seeing how my parents came over here with nothing. It's like, it's like we basically had nothing to lose and everything yeah. to gain. So you just like go for it. You know, you go, you start the company, you try to try to go big because you know, they're not going home. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you grew up children a child of immigrants and uh where'd you go to school give us some career highlights about that and then some career highlights after school yeah so i went to school in charlottesville virginia so i went to university of virginia is where i graduated yeah it was it was a great experience growing up i was super into like technology computers you know i was like building my own computers when i was like seven years old but when i went to college I didn't want to be the nerd, you know, so I, I like I studied finance, economics, entrepreneurship, graduated, got like a nice job at like a big bank in New York City, wore a suit every day, thought it was really awesome, but then quickly, quickly learned that I was still a nerd at heart, you know, so it's like I wanted to code, I wanted to like get back into startups, go to tech. So, so after I kind of left the investment bank in New York, I moved to California and worked for an insurance tech company called the Climate Corporation. They were selling basically digital insurance products and software for farmers. And that was like my first foray into like, hey, like not everything you build, like not all these apps are for consumers. There's just like these massive industries in America that is underserved by technology. The company ended up doing very well. It got acquired for a billion dollars and... I ended up leaving to join a much smaller financial technology company back in D.C. Um, so there we started building financial software for for larger banks. I'm kind of going going back a little bit into my roots there. But around that same time, my co-founder, Bharat, um, he goes by B, uh, was a lawyer in New York City. Like most lawyers, didn't love his life. <laughs> so, so we were just like, hey, like we've always wanted to do something together. Let's and you grew up with him, right? Yeah, yeah. So we we grew up in Virginia together. We were debate partners in high school, hung out all the time. He, when I was actually in San Francisco, he would come to San Francisco. 
apply to jobs on my behalf to get me to move back to the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so we were just like, hey, let's like let's quit our jobs, let's do our own thing. Ended up moving into like a one bedroom in his like you know apartment in Astoria and started kind of working on what would eventually become Axel. Very nice, very nice. You know, you mentioned not all technology is consumer technology, but this kind of comes up lately in my podcast. I'm I'm much older than you. I used technology in my job. I worked in engineering and product development a long time ago, you know, in the 80s. We were using all sorts of technology, but it was always clunky. It was black screens with uh, green letters and, you know, you have to get control F8 to get to the price screens. Totally. And, and I remember when they weren't, they were like dumb terminals a lot. You would have to go. I just remember going over to Ford Motor Company in the basement and there was like all the engineers you'd see walking down that hall we'd all like kind of look at each other like oh this sucks because we knew your your career had gone astray if you're walking to the computers in the basement so we always had this technology and it was clunky and to, if since it wasn't customer facing it really didn't matter we had to live with it what i think is so great now is we're all using consumer technology and somebody said called a consumer grade technology which has to be intuitive. It can't require training. It can't be, it can be clunky. It can't be unattractive. It, it, and if there's one button that's off, yeah, then it's not successful. And I think what's so interesting about that is I mean, companies like yours are saying, yeah, we, we're definitely not for consumers, but I'm sure your, your software is informed by consumer technology experience, which just has to be great. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think like kind of over the last couple of years, you see the role of design being basically like a first class function of any sort of like even B2B technology companies. Um, you know, you can kind of see that like, you know, like Airbnb had great design, Apple had great design. And it's like, that is like almost at the same level as where like your product and engineering organization sits. Yeah. And I'm, I remember this was years ago when I was still at a 3PL and we were looking at we needed, we had a TMS, but we needed another one with some other t uh, capability, which was horrible because we really wanted our current 3P, our current tech to do what we wanted us to do, but we needed a separate technology. And I remember we were going through all these um, potential softwares and the graphic interface was just so shockingly bad in some. And I remember just looking and going, I, I'm looking at the screen and I don't know what to do. And and then you can you contrast that with if I go on anything else, if I go on DoorDash, if I go on the Domino's app, whatever I'm doing, you're like, there's no training. And I, by the way, I had somebody say this. Um, he'll know who he is if he's listening, but he wanted to replace their parts and service, any parts and service system. And it was very old. And he said to the people, just make it like Amazon. Just make it like Amazon. So he goes, I want it's the, the look and feel. I want everything to feel like Amazon. And all these distributors who were buying those parts and buy, from uh, that system said, well, when the new system's done, can I come and get trained? And they were used to having a two-day training session on this system. And he says, no, there was no training on it. That's one, one of the requirements is there is no training on this. <laughs> right, right. And that's actually, this is like a nice segue into kind of like why we decided to start this business, right? So, so our first product that we launched was this invoice factoring product. And when we were learning about the industry, learning about like the pain points that we were hearing from freight brokers, 
it was just like every like they didn't like their factoring company. You know, they're like, hey, like this is like a really bad experience. I don't know where my money is. It 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 didn't seem transparent. And when we like dug under the hood, we're just like, it's because they are all using clunky technology to like run these factoring operations. It was like software that was built 30 years ago and you have to like log into like a like a terminal and like do these things and it's like super laggy. And I was like, oh no wonder like your customers don't have any transparency. Yeah, they're losing their information when they walk away from it. Right, yeah. So before we get into that, what is factoring and why do people do it? Yeah. So factoring is a form of financing. It's like working capital financing that allows you to get paid quicker. Um, so I think generally people want money faster. Uh, you know, it's like a rule of thumb. And there are ways that you can get money faster. You know, like, for example, you can get a line of credit or you can like, you know, use a credit card. Factoring is primarily used for companies that are growing really quickly where, you know, or they maybe not, they're not large enough to qualify for like a line of credit. So instead of just giving them money based off of their company's credit profile, we do it based off of their invoices. So if you have accounts receivables, we can use that to collateralize the money that we're giving you. And so a lot of times you'll see like a trucking company that'll say, we'll give you quick pay, which means sometimes I'll pay you 95% of what you're owed right now today. If you wait a few days, I'll give you 98%. If you wait a week, I'll give you 100% or something like that, right? Yeah, totally. And and what factoring companies are great for is, and by the way, I before we hit record, I was telling you how I've used factoring when I was at my dad's engineering business. We had a whole bunch of late payments. People weren't paying us and we had to make payroll. And I remember it was like a, such a revelation. I had invoices that were owed by a very big, reputable company. I won't mention their name. And I went took those to the factoring company and they say, they don't owe you this money. They don't owe you this money anymore, Joe. They owe us this money. Right. And we're in an exchange. I think they gave me 80% of what was owed, which is more than enough for us to make payroll. And then when they got paid, they paid us the other, I think they paid you know an extra 16, 17%, depending on how long they had to hold. Right. Is that how it worked? Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. So it's like you can basically delegate your collections problems away and be assured that you'll get the money right away at the cost of getting a discount on that invoice. Um, so for us, we charge like under 3%. Yeah, that's another thing you said to me. I was joking, teasing you, saying how factoring is like going to a bookie. And you said that you thought that was one of the reasons you guys got into it because you saw tons of inefficiency. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at a typical factoring relationship, they're... There are a lot of times where you have to like submit your invoices, you're sending over pieces of paper, you can fax it over, maybe you send it over an email, and then like someone on the other By side. By the way, I like, used to drive mine 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah <laughs> That's yeah. how long ago it was. We never fax. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so then someone on the other side is taking that piece of paper, looking at it, typing it in, and like making a, a risk-based decision to see if this is like, you know, an invoice that they're willing to purchase, and then somehow getting you that money, maybe like sending you an ACH. Um, and and kind of what we saw was just like there was a lot of steps that we felt like could be automated. And when you automate it, you create the efficiency, you make sure that your clients are getting paid faster, and you can even reduce the cost of the financing. So you're able to take the money out. Now, what about the risk? I mean, can you do a better job managing risk with technology? Because I know that's got to be part of that equation, right? 
Totally, totally. Yeah. So we do a lot of things to manage the risk. We actually have like three levels of risk protection. We we look at the client's data. We look at the shipper's data, the debtor, the people that are going to pay us. Yep. And then we also look at it on a per invoice level. A lot of the things that we're building today is to automate all of these credit and risk decisions in a way that is very safe for us. So we were fortunate to bring on really experienced people from the industry early on, pair them with our best software engineers, and basically turn our experts brain into like machine code. And now like we basically have a hundred of these highly experienced factoring people that are making these decisions through our software. Yeah. So what problems are the, I mean, I think the, the short answer is they need money, but what are some of the, what is, what are some of the reasons people are coming to you guys? I mean, I, what are, what are some of the bigger problems that you're, you're solving for them? Yeah. I, I would say the working capital is just one component. And even now, like we are getting clients who don't necessarily need the money but they really love our software. Uh, so what our software allows them to do is basically not worry about collections, not worry about carrier payments. They never have to like log into a bank and make sure that like they're sending funds out. They don't have to remember like, so you know, like from the space that like carriers often work with other factoring companies and you need to know like who to pay. It's like, oh, this carrier is working with this other factoring company. So you don't pay that carrier, you pay their factoring company. So we basically have built this network that will kind of like have all this data at their fingertips and they just don't have to think about it. So they don't have to collect bank account information or anything like so that. If they, so if they have to give up a little bit of money, they, they're willing to do that as, as a price that they're willing to pay for the convenience of your software. Right. And it helps them focus on the right things because you don't grow a brokerage by being better at payments or like accounting. You know, you grow it by finding carriers and finding shippers. And we want you to focus on those things and we'll just handle everything else. Yeah. And sometimes this can be, you know, if you're a carrier, I'm assuming you work with carriers too. Yeah. And and I think if you're a carrier, they've got that truck on the road. They're going to potentially make a very large payment on that. There's a couple hundred grand for a truck. They got to pay a driver, potentially paying for them to stay at a hotel or, or stay on the road. But then they, to fill that tank is enormous. And sometimes they can have a situation I've heard about where they drop off and somebody says, hey, I have to fill my tank and I can pick up another load, but I need money to get the next piece of business. Yeah, yeah. And that's essentially what, you know, that's like the definition of working capital. You need that capital to like continue operating and like growing. Yeah, so somebody could say, yeah, I have a potential to, to make an extra five grand here, but I can't make that five grand if I don't have a thousand bucks to put in my tank. <laughs> At the end of the day, we're, we want to make sure our clients are growing. Like that's kind of how, that's like the best way to use the money that we provide is to make sure that your business continues to, to grow. Oh yeah. It's the only way, it's the only way that it works for you too, because if they're, they are struggling and they are coming to you because they're desperate, that's not good either. So you mentioned that you do some stuff beyond factoring, which again, I think a lot of people are familiar, not everybody, but people are familiar with factoring. You do that, but then you mentioned this the other services. What are some of those other services you guys are providing? Yeah, yeah. So I would say like when we started the business, the light bulb moment was, okay, let's reimagine this like factoring solution to make it better for this industry. Um, you know, we realized that there was a technology problem. We are really well positioned to solve that technology problem. 
after that, we're like, okay, well, let's take this to the next level. What, what would make this experience even better? So we started doing a lot of systems integrations. Like we think that data connectivity in this space is going to be like a trend that continues forward. Um, you know, like you can do so much where you don't have to type in the same information in multiple places. So we, we connected to transportation management systems. We connected to accounting systems. We even have clients who will like, write their own code to connect to our platform so that we can basically transfer they can basically book the load and pay the carriers seamlessly they don't they don't have to like send us an invoice or like go into our dashboard and like add like a load or anything like that it's just like load gets delivered press a button everyone gets paid yeah and this is what when we you hear the term every once in a while fintech this is really fintech in action and this is why you're doing it because it's connected to my systems. I'm not calling and say, hey, my, and when we think of banking, you think of, okay, I got to call my banker. I can have online banking potentially, but I don't ever think of it as connecting to my systems. Yeah. It's like, it's like we're basically verticalizing finance for this like freight and logistics industry. It's like, it's basically if you had a, a financial partner that just knows your domain it knows what factoring companies are it knows what carriers are knows what shippers are knows what a bol is like it it will it'll be a better financial partner for you oh yeah that's another thing you don't want to have to i mean i know there's there's factoring companies that specialize in this business but um i'm sure there's many more that don't because i think this is a lot of retailers use this kind of stuff for i don't imagine you want to start talking to them about how it works in our business yeah, if they don't. You don't have to have that conversation. Like, we get it. <laughs> this is who we serve. And then, kind of like the next, kind of like after we did that, you know, after we said, okay, let's let's build a better factoring product. Let's like integrate these systems together. Let's make it all work better. We launched Axel Wallet. So Axel Wallet was a way for companies who didn't need financing. They they maybe they had their own capital. Maybe they're big enough that now they don't use factoring services anymore. Maybe they have their own line of credit. They can open up an Axel wallet where they are able to essentially deposit their own funds. And now we handle everything else. We still do the carrier payments. We can still do all of like the integrations. They can still have that like one click play everyone, make sure the amounts are correct. Now, do you do auditing for the payments? Yeah. So we, uh, you know, I think in logistics, there's a lot of times where you're doing like freight bill and audit. Like you're just like looking at the paperwork. So that's a service that we we do like we verify the documents and everything so when when so just for people who don't have to get into it all the time when we say freight bill and audit what you mean is so somebody invoiced me or or i said the better way to say somebody quoted me sean said this is going to cost twenty eight hundred dollars to pick up at point a and drop it off at point b and i say excellent sean i agree and then uh, the bill comes and it's thirty two hundred dollars and i say whoa the invoice amount is different than than the quoted amount. And so that's where somebody, you guys are doing that audit and then you're saying, what happened here? So it could have been totally legit. Sean could have said, Joe, when my guy got there, he had to sit in his truck for four hours beyond, you know, the two hours we gave you. That's why it's an extra 400 bucks. You know, there's other times where you go, is this, or you didn't tell me you needed a lift gate or you didn't tell me you know, something that's on me. So I say, okay, I'm comfortable paying that extra $400. But that's a hassle because somebody has to kind of go through all those bills. And by the way, usually if I I, I used to joke about this to customers is either nobody's auditing and you might be leaving money on the table, overpaying for stuff, 
or your your internal team's doing it and they hate it. <laughs> they hate every minute of it because they don't have time for auditing a hundred bills, right? Or you pay kind of an outside company where there's a lot of audit companies out there and they'll take a piece of that action, which is nothing wrong with that. But I think the worst thing you can do is do nothing. Second worst, and maybe equally worse, is do it internally where you don't have the tools necessarily and it's a pain in the ass. So I think having an outside company that has the technology and the expertise to do it is the right way to go. Yeah, and kind of where we see that problem and, you know, sometimes like another thing you didn't mention is like, it's just typos. Like someone made a yes, mistake, yes, you know? Yes. So like some, the way that we see that problem is like today, what we do is we're building a lot of technology to like discover these variances. So we'll like, we'll be able to automatically detect, Hey, this invoice was like 50% more than what it usually is. Flag it as like something that should be surfaced. But where I think kind of like our future vision is, is basically bringing everyone onto this ecosystem so that you have this one source of truth of like, what is the amount, like, what is this amount should be? And the shipper knows it, the carrier knows it, like, you know, the broker is aware of it. And now you kind of are all working off of this like same source of truth. This is where the rate, the confirmations are originating from. This is kind of where like the invoices are being generated from. And that's kind of where we see Axel going in the future. Today, we have the brokers on here. We have the carriers on here. We're starting to get shippers on the platform. And once everyone is on the platform, everyone's working off of the same data set. You don't have that problem as much anymore. Now, do you push that information back into the TMS or the ERP or whatever system they might or order management? Yeah. And th this is kind of where we, we see that we're a little bit differentiated too. A lot of people who build these technologies, they try to be very closed with it. They, they're like, hey, this is my data. I don't want to share it. We've built this kind of like from this tech first mentality where it's an open API. It's like anyone can connect to our system. You don't have to be a sophisticated software developers. You don't have to have engineers work like, you know, for months on building an integration. It's very well documented. I'm a developer, like, you know, born and raised. So I wanted to make sure that this is easy to use for other developers. So we have very robust documentation that anyone can kind of just connect to. Yeah, I think this is this, what you just described there is challenge that maybe challenge, not necessarily a challenge, depending where you, how you look at it. There are traditional logistics guys, and they could be my age, they could be say, I've been doing this forever, right? But they don't, they aren't tech guys. And the companies they might have founded or lead aren't necessarily tech focused. And then there's companies that came up that were technology focused and maybe had to learn logistics expertise. I think if you're working with a factoring company that said they've been around for a long time and they grew very successful in in the old world, the pre-tech world, they're going to have some challenges getting online and they will probably never be a tech first platform. That's yeah. It's going to be a generational change, right? Where you guys that's where you started. Yeah. And that's something that when we think about the strategy long run, it's like, I don't want to be like that company that's behind on the tech 10 years from now, you know, because I'm kind of thinking about where will the company be 10 years from now. So we do a lot to just bake the innovation into our DNA. It's like, you know, we're always like rebuilding. We're always like doing the V2s and the V3s and making sure that we just like rip it apart. So that way we don't get 
you know, we cannibalize ourselves so that way we don't get like out competing. Yeah, that's a painful thing, but it's not as painful as somebody developing the killer app outside of your organization. <laughs> yeah, totally. Sean, when you're when you're much older and somebody says, Oh my god, these tech guys outflanked us, you're gonna still be angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So getting back to it, you guys give give me a few bullet points about what you guys do to what problems you solve and how you help your customers. Yeah. So you know, there's that first problem that you mentioned, which is like, we are able to provide people with working capital safely, effectively, reliably, and we do it in a manner that is fairly cost effective. The second piece is that we will handle all of the pieces after delivery. Basically, we we bill your customers, we collect from your customers, we pay your carriers, we send all that details about where the carrier payments is so they don't call you about it. And like we handle kind of like any of like those issues that come up. We support like all forms of payments. Bitcoin too? Not yet. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I was on teasing. The, on I was the teasing. Roadmap, maybe. <laughs> With the current prices, I'm not sure if people want to, but uh, could be there. Yeah. Well, what you described there, let me interrupt for a second. This potentially means I can use you guys and I might say I don't have to hire internally somebody to manage internal payments. Yeah, totally. And we, we've seen numbers like that where, you know, instead of having to hire a bunch of staff accountants or hire people that, you know, to like manage all the books, you probably still want like, you know, one or two people in-house to But if it saves everything. me a half a head, it yeah, saves me yeah. a lot of money every year. Yeah. We, we love stories where they're like, hey, like I used to do this process. It took me eight hours a week, but now that I'm on Axle, I could do it in like 30 seconds. So one example of that is our accounting integrations, which we haven't talked about that yet, which is like we do integrate with transportation management systems, but we also integrate with your accounting software. And if you're doing, so you mentioned earlier, you have some experience with factoring where you get 80% of the funds and then you get like maybe like the the 10% later and like there's these fees, that becomes a nightmare for your bookkeeper. <laughs> you know, he's like, he's like, what does this money correlate to? So well, yeah, what's, what's crazy is in the books, it'll say, it'll say, I got this much money. And you're like, well, wait, you got this is 80% of what you invoice. What happened? Oh, yeah. we got an extra, we got the other 16% here. Well, where's the other 4%? I guess it's, we never got it because <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is like another example of like, we sat down with an industry expert CPA who specializes in factoring transactions. We took her brains, turned it into code. And now we automate like the accounting for all of our clients. So it's like your books are like compliant, like, you know, like it's like gap compliant with like oh, all the sweet. industry regulations. And you don't, you don't have to think about it. You just like, Press a button, connect your QuickBooks account, and now your accounting is on autopilot. Right, and it's 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 nice because I know we we started off talking about factoring, but what this seems like is this is a system that's going to manage my all my payments, and maybe if I never factor, I don't care. I still want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, we see factoring is just one small solution to this broader problem of like working capital. And I think as a business, any business needs to manage their working capital. So we are basically providing companies with tools to do that. So, you know, we're we're thinking about launching a line of credit soon. We're thinking about launching credit cards and anything you need. We can give you that data. We can give you the financing. We give you the tools. So that way you can kind of continue to grow without worrying about, you know, like your your cash flow. I love what you said is this, you know, to grow a great freight brokerage, it's not about how you 
I mean, invoicing is super important. Getting paid is super important. Cash flow is super important. But if I can outsource that and uh, and potentially save money, but also have technology and expertise uh, on demand when I need it, I love that. And we we have like the kind of the case studies that we're looking at is within the first year of working with us, the average broker grows anywhere from. 150% to 300% on our platform. So it's just like, by just like giving us all this work that you shouldn't be doing, we can just let you focus on that. And you you kind of just like triple or double the size of your business. Well, that's fantastic. So let's switch gears for just a sec. So you guys started this company and I know you got some VC backing and you guys have done really well for yourself. You've grown. So talk about, just give me two or three lessons you've learned along the way from growing a, a successful company like you have? Yeah, I would say my biggest lesson is when you think about technology companies today, a lot of a lot of people focus on the tech, right? I focus on the tech as like the, the CTO, but it really comes down to the people. I think like investing in culture, investing in like the right people, making sure that you have such like a robust hiring pipeline in place, making sure that you're managing high performers, you're managing low performers well, that's the make or break for the company. And I also see that as like the scaling problem of most like tech organizations. Um, so, well, so Sean, how do you manage the, they're not in your, you, you guys are remote first, right? So you have people, are they all over the world or just all over the country or? We, it's mostly all over the country, but we do have some engineers in other parts of the world. So how do you manage them when they're all remote? Yeah. So I think one thing is, we were heavy users of OKRs. I'm not sure if you're familiar with like objectives yep. and key results. So we think that that is a tool that gives a lot of alignment, like, you know, across the organization. So do you, do you create those quarterly or monthly or? Yeah, we do them quarterly and some of them roll over quarter to quarter. So sometimes we have longer running OKRs. So that's just like a little tool, right? So when you say objective and key results, by the way, if you're unfamiliar, just type in OKR or objective and key results. And one of the things I, I use those myself, and one of the things I, I think is nice is it's not necessarily, I, I don't necessarily write down goals as much as these are areas of focus. Here's what we want to accomplish and and my feeling is if we were pushing towards those, we will figure it out. And sometimes I feel like I can't set a goal for that. I don't know enough about it till I weed it, wade into it. But I love the idea that, you know, the OKRs, because I look at the, I sometimes see people call them 90-day sprints lately. Like just here's, and I don't like yearly goals now. I like quarterly goals because I don't know what's going on like a year from now and but three months from now, I can say, over the next three months, I want us to focus on improving the following four areas. And so do you do OKRs by function? Yeah. So we have company-wide ones, and then we have department-focused ones too, just to make sure all the functions are aligned to the company-wide ones. But I, 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 I like your point about like not – that's kind of the thing where it's like, people always ask about like, hey, what's the five-year plan? What's the one-year plan? Like, you know, how are you going to get there? What's your roadmap? I think it's good to have a roadmap and a plan, but you have to know the difference between what is committed to and like what is planned. And and we like the idea of not having like annual OKRs, but more of like a 
one year picture? What does the company look like in one year? Like about how many employees do we have? Like what's the revenue numbers? Like how are we like scaling the different functions? So we kind of have this picture of what it looks like. And then we set those uh, milestones. So you have those OKRs, but how does that help you with your culture? I mean, that's in a culture, a little bit of accountability, but how do you make sure that they're treating your customers right, treating each other right, being good community members? How do you do all that? But how do you do it remote? Yeah, so... So when, when I think about culture, it's basically almost like a hack for management because culture is the things that people do when you don't tell them what to do. <laughs> and it's like, okay, like how are you just going to behave? And, and the way that we designed our culture was my co-founder and I are very different people. Like when you, t- like I'm like more of an engineer, I'm like more of like an introvert. He's, you know, outgoing, life of the parties, telling jokes all the time. But then we sat down one day and we we're like, Hey, we're going to build this company together what are the traits that we feel like we have in common that has led to our success so far? And by doing this exercise, we kind of like came down to these five traits, which was like curiosity. We're always learning. We're super tenacious. We are very transparent with each other. We put the team first. We're highly empathetic. And we thought that these were the traits that we personally really believed in. We felt like it led to our success. And it was something that we had in common. So that way we can hire people who might be very different from us in other aspects, but they can share these same traits. And we've done that. It's like, it's one of the things that I'm always so pleased about, which is like, I, I do these reviews when people join the company every like 30 days or 60 days. And I'll be like, hey, what's the most surprising thing to you about the company? And they're always like, yeah, like a lot of companies talk about culture, but it's so real here. Like, you know, it's like, I can see that everyone is so bought in. I can see that these traits exist. We do a lot of things to like reemphasize them. There's a lot of stories, like a lot of kind of like positive reinforcement. We kind of highlight them throughout the company. That's great. You know, it's funny. I wrote some articles with a friend um, about culture years ago. And I always remember one of the analogies I liked is like of a garden. You know, you plant you plant stuff in a garden. Now, clearly, you go over and say, we pull the weeds out, right? So those weeds could be bad behaviors, bad employees, whatever it might be. Yeah. It might even be something you do yourself and go, I'm going to stop doing this. So the weeds are easy. But then you could have like marigolds where they just started overwhelming. And maybe you can look at that analogy as that was the sales group that got so powerful and they're, they started overwhelming our capacity to deliver. And so it was, it was interesting how if you look at a garden, you, you always have to, to have it nice. You always have to weed it. You always have to pare back certain things that are growing too fast. It might have been a great behavior until it got crazy. Right? Yeah, yeah. And that's especially true with tech companies. I remember I, my master's degree, we talked a lot about this, is tech companies a lot of times would grow and they'd be mostly guys young guys and they would have like, hey, we play volleyball every Friday night and we get drunk and act inappropriate. And then as soon as you start bringing in older people or women and or somebody who says, hey, this I found I, I find this an offensive deal all of a sudden. And and you go, how do I pair that back and keep the energy and the positivity of that, but pair it back to take the un- inappropriate parts out? So I always think that that is a very difficult thing that you guys have to struggle with because it's not just about your cool tech. It's about your it's about your cool folks. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of where what we were talking about before, like diversity is really important, right? It's like, I think bringing diversity into the organization early on allows you to kind of attract the best talent, you know, like not 
you know, not everyone's going to be like you, but there's a lot of different skill sets you want to capitalize on in addition to making it feel like a safe place for people to work. Um, one of our, one of our key hires has been our head of people who, who's just like a big proponent of making sure that we're building an inclusive organization. I love that. I, I also like, um, you know, when people say diversity, I always think, well, diversity is getting to be a weird thing because I could pick it. Go, I've got an Asian guy, I got a black gal and I got a, a white gal here. They might've all grew up in the same zip code and went to the same school. And now, but I'm going to say the reason they're diverse is because look at their, look at their color. More important to me now is becoming where are they coming from? Where's their, where's their, so I don't want to have everybody having the same ideas. I want diversity of thought. It's not, and I'm not just going to always assume, well, Sean's an Asian dude and he's Vietnamese and he's a, he's a CTO. I know exactly who he is. <laughs> I don't have to even, don't even, don't even tell me. I know exactly who he is. I already put him in a little box. That's the wrong way to look at you. Yeah, totally. So anyway, let's wrap this bad boy up. I know you got to go. So what's next? So let's talk about FinTech meets FreightTech. What's, what's, I want to answer in any order. What's next for you? What's next for your company? And what's in next for this industry? And what I mean is that that FinTech piece that's helping uh, the FreightTech folks. Totally, totally. Yeah, I'll start with the industry. I think that when people think about like, when people talk about technology in this freight space, they're just like, oh man, like autonomous vehicles, drone deliveries, things like that. And I'm just like, I just don't want paper checks in two years, guys. You know, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to not send money in the mail like that. So, but honestly, I think there's so much innovation happening at this infrastructure level when we think about our financial system. You know, it's like you see all these companies issuing credit cards. You can open up bank accounts at all these like tech companies now. And I think that for freight, there's going to be that, you know, that, that financial partner that will We're take advantage. Keep growing. Of, yeah. And, 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 you know, and then like payments are going to be digital and you're not going to have to worry about where's my money because it'll be tracked like a, like an Amazon package. You know, it's like, it'll just come right away. It's very reliable. No one's asking about where their Amazon packages is. You could just see it online. Oh, and by the way, that one of the things that's so old is the check is in the mail. And that is when (laughs) when you hear that now, you're like, what are you kidding me? And I still get it because there's people who pay me by mail, but it's rare or more rare than it ever was. And, um which is good because given mail doesn't exactly come overnight anymore. Oh, totally. And it's it's crazy that you can get like a Amazon package delivered in 24 hours, but it takes like 30 days to get paid. You know, it's like money should be digital. Money should be like moving faster than than the thing in the physical world. So that's kind of ultimately what we're like, you know, but that's next for us. You know, we we feel like there's railroad infrastructure and like highways that are helping people move cargo. We want to build that financial infrastructure that help these companies move money. And that's that's ultimately kind of like what our goal is. And which is going to help them grow and be successful. Totally. Yeah. And then, you know, for me, I think I'm mostly focused on like what we said. How do I scale this company to that next level? Um, we, we grew from, you know, me and my co-founder for the first year, 10 employees in our second year. And now we have like 70 employees Woo. in our third year. And and it's just like, how do we maintain this culture at scale? I want people to look back and be like, hey, like Axel was the best place I've ever worked, you know, and and that would be super satisfying for me. Excellent, excellent. So before you go, who's the sweet spot? Who do you work with? Who's your who's who do you work with? Who do you who's your sweet spot? Again, those are the So today, any freight broker, you know, large or small, you know, for the small ones, we can help you get started. We can help you 
like with the working capital, automate your back office. For the larger ones, we can basically help you optimize your whole uh, operation. You know, we will automate a lot of the work that you might have a lot of people doing. We eliminate the error prone, like kind of like mistakes that can happen. And we help you scale the, the company. But we are also target, like we also have carriers that are clients and going forward, we're also bringing shippers onto the platform. So really we're trying to build this entire network, but today sign up if you're a, you're a freight broker of any size. Yeah. It, it well, it makes sense. I like we, how you're growing because at some point, if you say, I've got all these shippers and they all want to, they all want to work this way. And all the brokers want to work with this, all, and all carriers want to work this way. It becomes the, the standard as it, so, you know, that, that's going to make it a lot easier. And then again, it makes life much easier if you can start to get those digital payments. Sean, one last thing. Are you guys, you heading to conferences? What conferences you, you and your team get to? We go to, so we, we usually go to a lot of these, uh, TIA conferences, transportation intermediaries associations. We go to freight waves. So we were at the last freight waves. If you missed it, we won the That's best in, in Arkansas, show. right? Yeah. Yeah. We got the best in show award for our demo, which was I'm very was nice very happy about that, but we'll be in the one in Chattanooga in That's November. in November. So. Exactly. Yeah. So totally catch us there. Very nice. Very nice. I I'm I might get to that one. I'm also going to manifest in January. I uh I'm uh well it's in Michigan in January versus Vegas in January. So I think I might go to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But, uh, anyway, Sean, thank you so much. What I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and a link to your website and any other links you give me, I'll put those in the show notes so people can reach out and talk to you and your team. Amazing. Yeah, that'd be so that'd be so awesome. Thank you so much, Joe. This was a really great experience. Sean, it was great for me too. Thank you so much for educating me. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.